New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Total Soccer Show Women's World Cup Daily. Spain looked as though they could do as they please as they cut through their opposition like Swiss cheese. Switzerland's sturdy defence looked kind of tatty after it was dissected by Antonio Bonmatti. And no one in this tournament is having as good of a run as the girls from the land of the rising sun. Japan left the Norwegian defence in bits and they did so wearing rather lovely kits. <laughs> My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today has got a lovely little chuckle on in this guy taylor rockwell hello hello first of all credit to ryan bailey for performing while injured ryan bailey picking up an illness but still here with us hosting uh, a consummate professional and yeah my first note for japan norway is i'm gonna go ahead and guess that graham has tried to buy this japan kit because yeah it was a lovely <laughs> kit i haven't seen that one yeah. yet it is nice. It is nice indeed. And I must commend all the players in this tournament. They have gone the distance so far, the ones in the knockout stages. I'm, I'm out at the point at this point, Taylor. It is, it is I, I doubt they, me. I doubt they've watched as many games as you have. I'll say that much. <laughs> I think if they've played, they've played, they've traveled, they've done all that. Have they watched every single game? That I don't know. That is fair enough. I've done a lot of this tournament on a couch, to, uh, to their credit. <laughs> Joining us, Taylor, to discuss these two big knockout games is our friend, Mr. Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. Hello, chaps, Ryan. I'm sorry you're not feeling well, first of all. And second of all, I had a similar note down on the kits, forgetting initially that Graham wasn't going to be with us <laughs> Me this <too>. morning. <laughs> and then I checked the doc where Graham is usually filled in his his lovely notes. And it just said TR and JL in the doc, and there was no GR, and that made me very, very sad. Graham, I hope you're having a nice day off, um, up the Beanos and all that. My, mm. my critique for the kits, the kits themselves were great. Japan's kits, nice, like kind of pinkish purple with some other patterns on it. I really liked it. I didn't like the contrast between Japan's pinkish purple and Norway's red. I, yeah. I don't feel like they were different enough. I understand those are different colors, and I could tell the difference between them, obviously, but I felt like it wasn't the optimal kit color combo, but I'll set that aside in the spirit of uh, Japan's continued success. Yeah, that's fair. Could Norway have worn their home jerseys in this one then? I don't... Would, would that be white? I assume their home jerseys are white. Yeah. Right? Maybe, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like Japan's blue kit is so good as well that I was kind of just yearning to see that continued. Um, but, I mean, all the kits were good. And Japan's good. I have nothing to complain about. We do not indeed. And uh, Graham's main character syndrome is doing a wonderful business today, having mentioned him several times despite not being on the show. <laughs> Hello, Graham. We miss you. Uh, Graham's watching some Scottish soccer or some nonsense like that today. Uh, we wish him well. Uh, Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show. If you want more of our nonsense, by the way, listener, we have a very active Discord. It is a lot of fun. Do join us on there if you are so inclined. But in the meantime, guys, should we get straight to the round of 16 action? We start with the early game. Switzerland won. Spain 5. Spain reaching the World Cup quarterfinals for the first time with this masterclass win. 
Bouncing back from that defeat to Japan, Taylor, that 4-0 defeat that was just five days ago. Time is a flat circle. That feels like months ago to me right now. <laughs> but uh, a Matty Brace here, Redondo, Kadena, Hermoso, lots of other players who sound like Californian beaches but aren't. Um, th- this felt like it could be a chaos game, Taylor. At uh, 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 1-1, there was a bizarro goal in this one. But in the end, it wasn't even as close as 5-1 suggested. First of all, thank you for that, because I've been trying to figure out why Redondo sounded so familiar for me, uh, yeah. and it is indeed the beach, so thank you, Ryan, And Hamo- now Hamosa, it's all right? Clicking. Hamosa yeah. Beach is nearby in LA, right? I think so? Yeah. I don't okay. know. Joe's our West. Joe's our, our sort of West Coaster. He always rejects the West Coast comparison. Mm, sounds good. That feels right. <laughs> yes? But man, so we were talking about which games could go to extra time, which games could go to penalties, and I did entertain the idea that this could be one of those games because I thought the Swiss have been so resolute in their defense, less so in their attacking play. We've seen Spain struggle against a low block team, uh, the difference being that Japan able to successfully execute that low block and more maybe more uh, involved would be Japan's ability to keep the ball when they were playing on the counter and to be pretty ruthless when they were playing on the counter on the ball. Uh, The Swiss were not ruthless on either side. Spain definitely were. Spain very much the deserved winners in this one. And we see once again just how good the Spanish team can be. Yeah, one thing that really surprised me about how Switzerland approached this game, we talked about it in the buildup, you know, about how teams are going to deal with Spain from now on because Japan really did lay that blueprint, even if large parts of it were unsustainable because you can't score on every single shot all the time. But the the thing for Switzerland in this game was I, I couldn't really figure out why they defended as they did, other than that's just what they've done before, right? So they're in this 4-3-3, or, or at times it looks like a 4-4-2 diamond. And Taylor, I know you mentioned that a little bit in your preview of this Swiss team eight years ago, whenever that was now that we did those group previews. But like they, <laughs> they defend fairly narrow, right? Uh, and they shift side yeah. to side. So at times it's not like they're just giving up both wings. But really in this game, They were narrow, which gave Spain a lot of ability to play through midfield. Like, if you're defending with a front three, Spain can pass through that front three. That's not a problem for them. If you're defending with a midfield three, Spain can pass through that midfield three. It's not a problem for them. If you're defending instead in maybe a 4-4-2, really compact 4-4-2, or a 4-5-1, or what Japan used was a 5-4-1, then you have these two lines that cover really the width of the field, or at least cover Mm -hmm. the parts of the field that you care about, and you have at least one or two extra players in each of those lines, especially the midfield line in Switzerland didn't really commit as many numbers to that part of the field as I thought they would, which has been their, their MO throughout this competition. Like this is the shape they've used. I think they've played some really nice soccer in that shape and they didn't do a ton of that in this match against Spain, but I was surprised that they didn't bend and didn't really alter their course after a blueprint was laid out for them. And after even just watching any of Spain at all, recently to see how good they are at playing through the lines. I was surprised at that choice from Switzerland, and I do not think it served them particularly well here. Yeah, that midfield three especially, I I have thought looked good at times and looked very disciplined in their positioning uh, for the Swiss. In this game, they were very disciplined in their positioning, so much so that they were constantly outplayed by Spain, not even pass through, I would say, Joe. Like, you're definitely yeah. right, Spain can pass through, but because they're so tight together, so often I would see Bonmati and Hermoso just getting the ball wide of one of that midfield three and really having no one within five or ten yards of them, and that's with them being 30 yards from goal. So then the Swiss have to sort of break from their shell. Someone has to scramble out to try to defend, and it's in the, that scramble that you so often see opportunities. And so many of these Spanish goals were 
well-crafted, well-created, some of them coming from sustained bits of possession, but then almost all of them ending in some sort of scrum, some sort of chaotic moment. And I think Spain in those moments are able to thrive off of that chaos for the Swiss who are trying to defend in an organized way. Chaos is not the word you want when it comes to describing how you're defending. But I think you're totally right, Joe. How narrow the Swiss were and how much they seemed to just think if we clog the middle, no one will get through. Oh, they passed it by us. Oh, they crossed it over us. Oh, they've scored two goals. Whoops. Uh, it was not the best game plan for the Swiss, for sure. Uh, yeah, that's probably evident in the scoreline. Oh, say, yeah? Say, you think? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I would suggest so. <laughs> I think I glibly um, previewed this as a, a team that doesn't want to score versus a team that has even less interest in scoring when we previewed yesterday. Um, but it was the Swiss who sort of stuck to that honor. One shot on target, two shots in total, Taylor. Um, it was never going to be their day with this approach, was it? I mean, uh, unless Spain were just going to keep scoring on themselves from midfield, uh, that, that was, was maybe amazing. the only way. That was truly amazing, that own goal. It's the only way that Italy can feel better about themselves right? after that own right. goal that they had to close out the group stage. This was this was just so good. Please continue. I, I, how do we beat it? Like, it has to be like a, a, an Olympico from your own corner scoring in your own goal. That's the only yeah. way I can see this. Be- <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> good, good call, Joe. Good call. It is a pretty horrific uh, sequence. Redondo, I think, maybe doesn't need to, to go like this dramatically backwards. She's under a little bit of pressure. I think Bachman is the closest, but... It didn't feel like she was like under such pressure that she had to just panic, go for the no-look 40-yard back pass, maybe thinking that she's that far up that the goalkeeper will be able, uh, Tallman will be able to get there no matter what, but Tallman off her line and more central, uh, so not able to get to this one. I was pleased, uh, though, that then it ends, uh, excuse me, not Tallman, uh, uh, Cole, but uh, I was pleased then that Codina was able to go the other end and score uh, to, to make up for it, even if that was sort of at a point when it felt like Spain were already very much in control of the game. Yeah, yeah, that is vindication, isn't it, Joe? <laughs> there's, there's no doubt about that whatsoever. It's, <laughs> I, I like Taylor that you mentioned Codina going and scoring on the other end. It, it was a trend for Spain in this game. Uh, her goal, Codina comes in the 45th minute. It's a corner kick. It's an outswinger. Switzerland can't clear the ball, and, and Codina says, "Thank you very much. I'll go ahead and neutralize kind of my issue from earlier, and we'll all be happy." I, I could not believe how much difficulty Switzerland had getting the ball out of their own box yep. in this game. Like. Taylor, we talked about the defensive structure for Switzerland and, and how that was maybe a strange choice. I think you're really spot on to point out it wasn't always Spain just like breaking line after line and finding zone 14, that, that area just on top of the box where you can sort of face forward and see the, the whole dangerous part of the field, the attacking area and all that stuff. They, they didn't do that all the time. The first four goals, the first four goals yep. came from the wide areas. Like it was cross, 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 cross. Not these necessarily aimless hopeful crosses, although there were a few of those for Spain. But uh, maybe they sense blood in the water. Maybe after Bon Mati scores in the fifth minute and then, you know, Redondo gets one in the 17th minute, maybe they're like, we should keep this up, folks. But I could not believe how much difficulty Switzerland had yeah. actually getting the ball outside of their own 18. Like, these balls are coming in from the left wing over and over and over again, a couple from the right side. And Switzerland just could not figure out how to clear their lines and reset their defensive structure even more than any of the tactical problems in this game for Switzerland. And I think there were some. It was just those defensive errors. Like, you, it, if you can't establish a baseline level of competence to get rid of some of those danger moments, it, it really doesn't matter what you're doing in the rest of the game. Like, Switzerland come out, and I think they make three changes at halftime. Uh, they, they change their defensive shape a little bit in the second 45. They do add, at times, at least another number to their midfield line to give them more width. It just didn't matter. Like, they'd shot themselves in the foot four times at that point, and this game was over. 
Joe, um, you're wearing a, a shirt from a soccer camp you attended when you were younger right now. It's a great shirt, but did when you were at that camp, did they teach you terms like zone 14 and stuff like that? Um, no, I thought you were going to say like baseline level of competence, um, <laughs> which I don't have when it comes to soccer. Um, okay, no, that, that, the internet taught me that, Ryan, as it has taught me many things. Ah, very good. Sorry, yes. I, just, I just, just interested because there's mm-hmm. kind of terminology that I, I wondered whether they were teaching when you were in camp. I think I think what was interesting is that the Swedish training system seems to have emphasized play it into Spain's zone 14 or whatever it is, because, <laughs> man, Joe is dead on with how often the Swiss were just unable to clear their lines, unable to get a foot on the end of a ball to actually get a clearance. I mean, the first one... It's what, a little bit of a, a scramble in the box. It's the save where it hits the post off the line. Uh, then it's cut back. The second one is sort of a scramble in the box. Uh, the third one is another sort of ball falls, cuts back goal. I mean, there's just so many. The fourth one, especially uh, from Codina, is the one where it's like a header, then it's a touch, then it's another touch, then it's put in just barely. But there was just so much scramble to this one that I think what we see in this game, and honestly, I think what we saw in Japan Norway is that you can be very very defensive and that can work but i think you have to be able to alleviate some of that pressure and you have to be able to create a sense of vulnerability in the opponent and if you're the swiss the own goal i think notwithstanding there's never really a moment when i think you make spain think "Ooh, we're overcommitting. we got to be a little bit careful and i think norway were trying to get japan to overcommit and i think they just never took a bite at that apple and so in the end the swiss are defending very deep but then just rushing clearances, giving the ball back, and they're just completely ceding any semblance of control, but also never having an ability to slow the game down, to draw fouls, to just take some seconds off the clock and let everybody catch their breath and get into the right shape. It just felt like a completely suffocating self-performance from Switzerland, and then Spain made it even more suffocating for them. Uh, someone who helped that suffocation, Taylor. Uh, I turned up on Matty. We need to go off mm. on uh, her in this game. A perfect 10 rating on who scored. Two assists, two goals, 86 touches, 63 of 70 passes completed, uh, 24 of 29 in the final third. One possession eight times, created four chances. Taylor, the, it's, it's the composure in front mm-hmm. of goal. It's that time slows down quality she seems to have that very few players have. She's quite special. I mean, the first and the third goals for Spain are, are Bon Matty's goals. And they are very similar, uh, but the first one is especially brilliant because it's a, I, I think that's a Cruyff turn or a sort of Cruyff turn to sort of change the direction. Then, so she takes it with her right foot, hits it with her left through traffic. The commentators thought maybe it had taken a deflection because Tallman just sees it so late and ends up standing uh, in, in her spot. But in actuality, it's just hit through traffic, but it's really well hit. But it's also Bonmati with that first touch setting up that finish because now, again, you have the Swiss trying to scramble to make a play. They're having to try to close down. And in trying to close down, you have two players stepping from different angles, but neither one taking away the shooting lane, but they are taking away their goalkeeper's vantage point. And it's just moments like that I th- that I think make Bonmati so special, to your point, Ryan. Other players maybe go first time or go for like a little chipped ball to the back post or just try to recycle possession and keep that dominance going. Uh, And I think it takes a different type of player to recognize this is an opportunity for me to take the game uh, by the scruff of the neck. We'll go with that cliche and make something happen. And I think Bonmati could have recycled possession, could have dribbled out of pressure and found an open player, but instead just chooses to have that decisive go at goal and makes it happen. She makes it happen again later on in the game. She gets the assists you mentioned. I thought it was just a very, very strong performance from a player that needed to have a strong performance for Spain to be able to bounce back the way they did. 
Yeah, and, and there were real changes to this 11 from Jorge Vilda in this yeah. match. Five changes from the game against Japan, starting a goalkeeper who had never played for Spain before, like making crazy. a World Cup debut is is crazy to do in a moment like this. All of it ended up working out, and, it, and realistically, it was probably always going to, given the, the talent advantage that Spain had in this game, even with that blip against Japan. What I will say about Bon Matti, and Ryan, I'm glad you, you brought her up, she's just so complete. Like, she just does everything so, so well. She can get on the ball. She can break lines. She's comfortable under pressure. She's press resistant. And then in this game, the biggest payoff we saw was her actions in the box, like her showing up in the right spot. It's not just her composure on the ball and her technique to be able to to put the ball in the back of the net. It's also her ability to find those spaces in the first place. She's not the first runner because she's coming out of midfield. And so there are other players higher up the field that have already started to really try to make something of, of, of whatever sequence. She's often not even the second runner either. She is making these very classic but skillful late arriving runs to find pockets of space. And, and when she gets on the ball, it's not as if she'll always score two goals in a game, right? She's not always going to put the ball on frame. That's just not how this game works. But she does a really good job of finding spaces says you. that then allows, says me, I get, I, that's, you know what, fair enough. Switzerland's goal in this game, I said coming in, I know this is a tangent, I said coming in that they wouldn't score on every shot they had in the first half. They almost like one up to me in that. Like I, I was still technically right, but they kind of like shoved it back in my face. They didn't even take a shot and they still scored a goal in the first half, which I think is one upping me and Japan. Ryan, ultimate efficiency. Anyway, with Bon Matti, she gets in spots that allow her to impact the game. And that is, I think, maybe the most important skill in this whole sport. And she just oozes that stuff. Yeah, I agree, Joe, with your assessment that Bon Matty is the best player in this tournament, not called Lauren James. Very good. Um, <laughs> word for word, you're amazing, yeah, right? Yeah, I, that's what I heard anyway. Taylor, um, how have you felt about Switzerland overall in this tournament? We'll get to Spain in a minute, but Switzerland, I, I, I felt a little disappointed with them and yeah. the product certainly throughout the group stage. Um, I didn't concede a goal. And we should mention that Gala Talman in goal. It's her final match, international match, and didn't mm. concede in the group stage. At club level, she's won an awful lot. So uh, a great career, an international career there. But it was just, I just felt very frustrated watching this team in general. Yep. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that there are reasons to be positive about this Swiss team. Ultimately, I think it does end on a bit of a negative. This is a Swiss team that, again, are going to be hosting the Euros, the next Euros. So I think this was an opportunity for them to get valuable experience in the tournament, certainly, but then also show that they're not that far off or prove to themselves they're not that far off. And to top their group, to make it to the knockout round, I think does some of that. I think it showed how defensively competent they can be. I did expect them to be a little bit better in the attacking phase of play or in taking the game to the opposition in certain moments. I think Senegorsevic can be such a great player, and I felt like she was pretty anonymous in this game. Ramona Bachman was probably the most influential player for the Swiss uh, when they were doing any sort of attacking in this game, but that was pretty limited, and I don't feel like she really had the tournament that I expected her to have aside from the first goal that she gets in, I believe, the first game. Uh, I, I thought, again, we saw the kind of defensive solidity at times for the Swiss, and we've seen that in the group stage as well. But in this game, I think we we saw their their shortcomings or where they still have areas to work on. Uh, torn apart uh, by Spain, a, a lot of chaos in this game, and then not able to create much attacking chaos of their own. I still think it's a positive tournament for the Swiss overall, but I am not sad to see them knocked out. Okay, well, beware the neutrals has been the TSS message throughout this <laughs> tournament. We carry it on. Uh, Joe, Spain's win means they're going to face either the Netherlands or South Africa at the quarterfinal stage. Presumably, that's going to be the Netherlands, Joe. Does that feel like a handsome matchup to you? 
It does very much so. There's there's a chance, and I hope this doesn't happen, that all of the passes lead to kind of nothingness, which is always a bit of a risk when you watch Spain. But I think both of these teams do have some flaws, the Dutch in particular with some of the personnel, some aging players, right? You think about Spitza in, in the back line, things like that. I think Spain can have some real success in that game. And the Dutch want to play pretty soccer too. So from an aesthetic standpoint, it could be a very, very fun matchup. I'm excited about that. One one quick beat on Switzerland, and, and this can kind of close up my thoughts on them in this tournament. I enjoyed them uh, more, I think, than either of you guys did. I like a lot of the players that they have. Bachmann, Cernogorsovic, So in midfield, I think all, all very fun players. We didn't see everything always come to a head in, in the way that they would want, certainly. And the unfortunate bit is I'm not sure how much time some of the top-end players in this team have left. Ramona Bachmann is 32. Cernogorsovic is 32 as well maybe there's another World Cup in there and and maybe they can still have a similar output as kind of these flexible, creative, on-ball attacking types. But this might have been sort of the last window for those two players. Maybe there's another Euros and a World Cup, you know, whatever that looks like. But we're nearing the end, essentially, for those two and that does bum me out a little bit. All right. Uh, Taylor, just to jump back, enthusiastically nodding when I uh, mentioned the Spain-Netherlands matchup. Yeah, I can't wait. I, I think that's that should be a pretty electric game. Yes, maybe it just devolves into possession for possession's sake, but I still think both teams are capable of springing surprises and taking uh, advantage of set pieces, so I think there will be goals in that one. I think it's going to be a pretty electric game. For the Swiss, Joe, uh, to bring it home, we'll, we'll keep uh, saying we're going to bring it home and then we keep talking about the Swiss. I think I think it is that Euros that will be maybe the final tournament for a few of these players and I think by that point we'll see them maybe more comfortable in the front two that I saw them in in the lead up to this tournament it felt like more often they were playing with a like four one three two is that too many or is that enough that's enough yeah and it was usually uh it was usually Serna Gorsevich either as one of the front two or more often as a more creative midfielder alongside Ramona Bachman then you had Alicia Lehman as one of your front two and that seemed to be working better. We didn't see her at all in this game. Uh, and I wonder if that's a player who maybe gets more reps in the lead up to that Euros. And if we see the Swiss go with a slightly more attacking formation with a more few Instagram numbers further forward, does that help? What was that, was Ryan? That more Instagram reps was that, Taylor? Oh, yes, of course, of yeah, course. More Instagram right. reps, uh, more posts, more followers, all that good stuff. Uh, I don't know. Is it is it just that? Is it just that she's so popular on Instagram that I'm equating that with being a good player? Because from what I saw of her... Uh, leading into this tournament, it felt like she could be a difference maker. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, Inca Grings, the Swiss manager, maybe not agreeing, <laughs> at least in this game. Yeah, well, uh, very easily influenced by influencers, are we, Taylor, I suppose. So maybe it's that. <laughs> Who, who's to say? I who's try not to be, but maybe I am. Maybe I am. <laughs> maybe we all are. Well, Spain through to the final eight uh, in spectacular fashion in this game. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we go to Japan's spectacular victory over Norway. Back shortly. New game day shirt, boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate, boom, cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one... It's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. 
Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. Total Soccer Show Women's World Cup Daily. We go now to Wellington, where the 2011 champs played the 1995 champs. It was the 2011 edition who got the victory here. Japan 3, Norway 1. Japan's perfect tournament continuing here, although they've now conceded their first goal. An own goal at that. Another own goal for today's matchups. Uh, Hinata Miyazawa, excuse me, with her fifth goal of the tournament here, leading the Golden Boot uh, Challenge, if we're going to call it that. Joe, this was... A Japan team dominant from the outset in those lovely kits. Another great performance. The attacking was there. The press was there. The intent, the technical ability, the recovery. Always a pass available for these Japanese players, it seems. They're calm. They're just, they're just really good, aren't they? Yeah. Yes. Yes, they are. 100%. Um, Ryan, first of all, I'm sorry that the 90s didn't win for you today. I know you're under the weather and, and that, that would have been nice for you to get that one. Um, we'll be and back. I'm, I'm, I'm going to assume that it was your 90s-induced uh, losing sadness. It, it wasn't an own goal that Japan conceded in this game. Goro Raiten gets, gets a goal of her own, but they yeah. did score an own goal. So lots lots of joy for Japan in this game and lots of run for own goals in general on today's show. Even though this one, while it was it was good in its own way, it feels like nothing in comparison to the one that Spain scored on themselves. So it's like just, just not the same. What I will say is I kind of feel like Japan have broken soccer not because of how good they are and they are a good team, not because of how many things that they're good at and they are good at a lot of things, but because they just can't seem to stop getting gifts from the soccer gods. Like they <laughs> score every single time that they're in the final third, basically against Spain. And then the first goal in this game is Ingen like kind of giving them a gift in a role that she doesn't look very comfortable playing. Ingrid Sierstad Ingen, uh, excuse me. Yeah, Ingrid Sierstad Ingen is a, is a good player, plays for Barcelona, does a lot of things very, very well was given a different role in this game than she's played in this tournament. She's the number six for them in possession, and she was moving into the middle of the back line in this game, so Norway could defend in a, in a back five, in a 5-4-1, and she never really looked comfortable there. She's not a center back. She's not always used to defending in that last line, and she was responsible for that own goal as the ball comes in. Like she kind of just flails a leg at it as, as Miyazawa's ball comes into the box looking for Fujino, and she sticks her leg out, and, and the ball finds the back of the net. It, it is a fluke situation really and so I don't put too much blame on Ingen for that moment but man it just feels like every break is going Japan's way and to an extent they've earned it because they play really good soccer and they more than that like more than the aesthetics of it they're just good at basically everything and they deserve a lot of these wins I, I agree with what you said Joe I still though give Japan credit for some of those mistakes from Norway because I think there was about Norway a similar thing to what we were talking about with Switzerland where 
it felt to me like they thought we'll we'll mirror the shape. We'll go into a five four one. We'll be ultra defensive. We will not even engage at midfield. We will let the back three just move the ball around as much as they want. But when we sit deep, we will frustrate and we will sort of nullify everything Japan throws at us. And then I kind of feel like the next phase of that plan was question mark that never got filled in. Uh, I'm assuming it was to then have Japan overcommit numbers, hit them on the break, or maybe maybe it was after Japan sort of try everything they could try. Norway then like try to get more possession and try to kind of take on more uh, possession and make something happen from there. But it, it just felt like there was this plan of be defensive and don't let anything anything through. But as a result, there was, again, panicky clearances and panicky mistakes that led to Japan goals, but also just increased Japan possession and opportunities. And, and, and then I look at that first goal. You're totally right. It's just a hopeful ball in, I think, for Miyazawa. And then it's off uh, Ingrid Engen, which I was trying to find more words to put in there to make that even more confusing. But I struggled. Ingrid Engen on its own. <laughs> Ingrid Engen... <laughs> Clangs a banger into her own nets. Yeah, sure. Uh, Clanging a banging. Um, But but like that sort of is representative to me of where Norway's approach was a problem, that it was just sort of desperately like nullify whatever Japan is throwing at you such that you throw yourself at the ball and turn it into your own goal. Or as was the case for uh, Shimizu's uh, go ahead goal. Yeah. In the second half, it's just Boriten making a mistake and passing it back, thinking that the pass is open. It's very much not. But but those moments to me were representative of a larger problem for Norway, which was just that they didn't really have any pre-planned way of playing out of this uh, Japanese team. It makes me very nervous as a USWNT supporter if they're able to get past Sweden. There was about Norway a lot that I see with the U.S. women's national team of sort of making a pass, then the player gets on the ball, picks their head up, looks for the next pass, and then maybe completes that pass, and then the next player turns under pressure and tries to find a pass. Whereas Japan are just so systematic in their possession, and there's so many moments when a player seems like, oh, okay, they're under, they're in a 2v1, they're, they're being pressed aggressively, this is just going to be a ball clear. Oh, no, she threaded a needle through those two defenders to a player out wide, and now Japan have 40 yards to attack into. Yeah. The way they just know that players are going to be in the positions they need to be to receive those balls, it was night and day for me, and in how Japan were able to be just relentlessly dominant even while they weren't running all over the place and winning everything back and being overly physical it felt to me like they were just controlling the game controlling possession and a lot of times just frustrating Norway in their approach yeah Taylor my trick for avoiding Japan related USWNT anxiety is just just to be crippled just to be crippled (laughs) by Sweden related USWNT anxiety fair so I I would suggest that for you and and I hope that sort of improves your next 24 hours or so less than thank you Joe 16 14 hours whatever it is now that's one anxiety at a time that's a good uh, rationale I I, genuinely I do try to live my life in that way and it doesn't always work but that's one side of this the other side is Taylor I agree with with your premiser like I, I think Japan do deserve some credit for the mistakes that New, that New Zealand, I don't know where that came from. Yeah, them too. Norway made All the mistakes. in this game. All the mistakes that New Zealand as a nation have ever made. No, I, I think they deserve some credit for that. Not because they created like an overwhelming number of chances on their own, yeah. right? Like they, they didn't really have a ton of clear cut opportunities in this game. You know, if you yep. try to think through those moments, they have beautiful passages of play. Absolutely they do. They're not like bearing down on goal over and over and over again mm-hmm. in this game. But what they do to Norway is they just batter them. Like they're just throwing punch after punch after punch, winning the ball back over and over and over again. And Norway had a bit more joy on the break than, than Switzerland did against Spain. But like they didn't really let Norway 
breathe. And so Norway, as a team that doesn't have a lot of tactical detail to how they attack, certainly, mm-hmm. I think they struggle to break forward. And so they're just dealing with with hit, again, hit after hit after hit. And they make a mistake on the first goal, maybe a little bit of a fluke. The second goal is absolutely another mistake. Like that does not happen without a poor pass from Norway inside their own box. And then the third goal is just awesome. And I have no complaints about that whatsoever. And that's all Japan. And they're awesome to watch as well. But I think Norway couldn't figure out how we're supposed Mm -hmm. to break through this pressure that Japan are throwing at us with their attacking play. And it just kind of unraveled for them. Yeah, Joe, I think I think you're totally right to then point out that there aren't it's not as though it's just chance after chance after chance that eventually Japan make one count. Like the strange analogy I would go with if uh, Joe, I don't know if you've ever been in an ocean or seen an ocean. I, yeah, I forget I how it is in Arizona. Yeah. There we yeah. go. But like <laughs> there, there's that. You mean there's just like, a box of sand, right? Just like yeah, that's it. The box of sand. Exactly. I'm talking yeah. about a sandbox. Right. Um, there's a strange thing with like you can be a little bit too far like uh like or like too far in or not far enough out basically where like the waves are kind of crashing on you and it felt to me like Norway were in this spot where like the wave kept hitting them and even if they weren't fully falling over or getting knocked back to shore they were just constantly trying to battle and keep their footing and Japan were like 10 feet further out and just sort of gently going over every single wave and just never really looking bothered so even if Japan weren't sort of ruthlessly attacking it just felt like Norway were never really causing them too big of problems I mean there's the goal certainly that goal to me is just it's an individual mistake and it's a mistake that we haven't really seen or I should say individuals mistake uh, and it's one we haven't seen so much from from Japan but it's basically I believe it's Hasegawa and Nagano are just run between and, and and they should have made a better play or you foul there and you concede the free kick but they don't and that once they are kind of taken out of the equation suddenly there's an overload and that's the kind of scramble that we've seen other teams have to do to handle japan in this case it's japan scrambling back they don't track a uh, girl Wrighton, who's just wide open in the box screaming for the ball for a good three seconds before it comes in and she gets the header um, the Fox commentators were saying, there's the size mismatch we've been looking for. Norway dominant in the air. Girl Wrighton is not the tallest player, I don't think. I think that was more about a, a sort of breakdown of, of individual defending or individuals defending leading to that goal. That moment aside, uh, Japan never really looked particularly bothered by anything Norway were throwing at them, whereas Norway looked continuously bothered by what Japan were throwing at them. Right. Uh, uh, first of all, apologies for assigning Japan an own goal in my uh, intro there. I've, I've got major brain fog. My, my brain is scoring 35-yard own goals on itself <laughs> all day today. So, uh, but, but I, want, I um, wanted to note that Japan had 60.4% possession in here. So it's Joe, a very different approach to the Spain game. Of course, a very different yeah. opponent, but just another string on their bow just shows their versatility, doesn't it? The way they can change up these kind of approaches. It does. Yeah. And and possession on its own means nothing. Right. And we've torn Spain apart for having a lot of possession and not creating a ton of chances. Japan, in some ways, like that, that was a little picture of them in this game at times. What I will say, though, is their their front three keep them in every single game. Like their front three are able to do whatever you ask of them, regardless of the situation. Tanaka, as that nine, doesn't get on the score sheet in this game, but she's so well-rounded. She can lay the ball off. She can drive it forward. She can find a pass. She can get in the box and find a bit of space. Fujino and, and Miyazawa, who are responsible for that third goal, and, and really in some ways the first goal, even if it is a little fluky with Miyazawa playing the ball into the box for intended for Fujino. Those two players, they're in the half spaces all the time in this 3-4-3 shape, and all they need is this momentary lapse. Like All they need is a split second. They're so efficient and so athletic and technical. Like They're these complete, narrow attacking players. All they need is that little lapse, and they'll have a shot on goal. Like They're so clever between the lines. They're so good and and savvy and aggressive with their movement off the ball and clever with their ideas on the ball. 
it feels like Japan, actually, I'm not going to say it feels like, Japan are one of the better teams in this competition at taking possession and turning it into something. Even if this maybe wasn't the banner game for them, that third goal in the 81st minute is awesome with Norway pushing up a little bit. Japan are back defending, which didn't happen a lot in this game, but they win the ball. And, and they're, again, just so efficient and ruthless when they have possession. Fujino finds Miyazawa in behind. That connection pays off like it did a number of times in this game. They're just so darn good. And they can have the ball. They can give you the ball. Either way, it feels like you're kind of up against it. Yeah. And, and Joe, I regret my my group prediction for Japan because it was really one that was going to be tough for me to pull off. But it was that I would call a goal uh, from a counterattack and then Joe would correct me and say, actually, it was from sustained possession because that is a thing that this Japanese team does. And I will not get that prediction point, but that has happened routinely in this in this tournament that I've been like, oh, a nice goal from the counter. And then you go back and watch and it's a, a, a 12 or 15 pass sequence. But even when it isn't, even when it is just sort of direct play, uh, Saki Kumagai is so good with her possession uh, that she can split the lines regularly. She can play into feet and she so often plays into the feet of, uh, of Tanaka. Joe, you're totally right to spotlight her, even if she doesn't score, because she... Moves around so much, obviously, so she wears that defenders, but also how often she will show at the exact right moment for that sort of vertical pass from the center backs, but also always receives sort of as she's opening up her hips, she receives on the half turn. That's what that means. Uh, And so she's basically turning and playing forward as the ball is coming into her feet. And routinely, Norwegian players would bite on that, thinking that they were going to make an interception, thinking that they could sort of put pressure on her and she would take a touch backwards. And... At least three times in this game, they try to make that play, and Tanaka turns, and then they're completely taken out of the equation, and that is what happens for that uh, for that third goal for Miyazawa. Uh, it's just she turns uh, Tanaka and then takes a touch and then plays in a perfect ball. It's crazy to me that I believe the finish is Miyazawa's first touch in that sequence, but it's so well that's such a well hit through ball that it just sits up perfectly for her to then finish expertly but yeah i thought tanaka was was excellent and i think that ball from kumagai out is another very important uh weapon that they have in their arsenal they have so many but that's another one taylor to jump back to norway was there a reason we should have expected them to be this subpar at this tournament they had moments in this game where they you know they they broke through had a bit of high pressure and maybe waited a bit late to have impact but should we have seen this coming? I don't know because I'm I wasn't really familiar with Norway heading in, or as familiar uh, with Norway heading in. Obviously, they have some uh, poor performances in recent competitions that stand out, uh, and it did seem like maybe there was more infighting than we knew coming into this one. But there's so much talent in this team, not just at a Hagerberg, but across the team, and even uh, Ingrid Engen, who finally starts in this game, hasn't played very much in this tournament, but she's a player that I always thought was was very good for them and and could be a very useful player in the midfield. Maybe less so at center back, it turns out. But it's it felt cool. like th- there was quality across this team that didn't really click into form. It's why I am not sad to see them out of this tournament, because if they had kind of found found a way to grind a way to a win here, it would be to their credit because Japan have looked so good, but it also wouldn't be to their like creative attacking credit. I wasn't sure if this would be Norway trying to be ball dominant and Japan sitting deep, or if it would be Japan being dominant, Norway sitting deep. We know the answer to that one. Norway making very little em- effort 
to attack and take control of this game at all. And that was a thing I expected from them this, them in this tournament. I thought they would be a team that did that more often or more readily. And that was definitely not the case. Joe, I know you did the preview of them. Yeah. Uh, where are you on Norway? Cause I think I'm a little bit in the end, disappointed, frustrated with them for sure. Yeah. Th- there were worrying signs coming into this tournament. I was high on them based off of their talent level. Right. And I think it's hard not to be think about their attacking group. It is difficult to find three or four teams that have more attacking talent than they do in this competition. The talent's real. And, and CGH, as I'm going to call her from this point forward, Caroline uh-huh. Grant-Hampson, yep. was, was awesome in moments in this game. And that's the problem with Norway, and that's been the problem for them, is they have all the talent in the world, but the moments when it all comes together seem so few and far between. And I, I was optimistic that it would gel sort of at this competition, and it just hasn't. I think there were folks out there that that really realized this from the start. It took me a little longer to get on that train. But, I mean, we saw the cracks from this jump in this tournament, right? They have enough talent to brute force their way through to the knockout rounds and not enough talent and not enough ideas as a unit to go out and, and beat a team that does have real ideas on how they want to play. All right. Well, as we noted, this excellent Japan side will play the winner of Sweden against the USA. Uh, why don't we take a quick break and then we will revisit that anxiety apologies gentlemen for that one and we're also going to talk about our very specific predictions for tomorrow's games too back shortly today's episode of the total soccer show is brought to you by indo chino mls is back which means mls fits are back we got to see fc dallas's cowboy hat move from player to player and iramendi rocked that thing after their win recently over the san jose earthquakes We're getting to see pregame fits. Another FC Dallas player and Kosi Tafare never disappoints. Will Trapp over in Minnesota has surprisingly good pregame fits for the Loons. Athletes love to have the right fit and so do we. We love wearing our sports gear, but you can't wear a jersey all the time. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Indochino has high quality suits that are designed to fit you. They're made to your exact measurements and customizations, endless customization options at that. This is custom clothing, folks, at a surprisingly affordable price. We're talking quality wools, linen, and cotton in different colors and patterns. Indochino.com is your one-stop shop for all of this stuff. The ordering process is easy. The site is super simple, clean, and easy to use to find suits, shirts, pants, blazers, outerwear, All of that good stuff over at Indochino.com. If you want to level up your game with Indochino, go to Indochino.com and use code ATHLETIC to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code ATHLETIC. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code ATHLETIC. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show, and I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the the the, uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic, and they, all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you're connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can 
very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show Women's World Cup Daily uh, mentioned before the break that Japan will be playing Joe, the winner of Sweden against the USA. One anxiety at a time. Um, I don't know. Actually, which anxiety would you like to deal with first? <laughs> How do you think that matchup would go against uh, Sweden or the USA? Uh, I think Japan would dictate. Uh, that, that's what I think would happen. Is Sweden, they are comfortable having the ball and they will possess for stretches, especially when they think they have a talent advantage. They won't really have that necessarily against the U.S. or Japan, regardless of, of kind of how these results go. But they, they're comfortable having the ball for bits and spurts, but Japan more so. Right? I think Japan would come out in that 3-4-3 shape, the same one we've seen them use in every single game. I think they would control the flow of the game. I do think a fascinating matchup, if Sweden were to advance past the U.S., would be set pieces. Like That's been a big discussion point around the U.S.-Sweden game. I think it would be an even larger one around Sweden versus Japan because... I mean, Sweden have the height advantage against the U.S. They would have the height advantage against Japan as well, likely to a more extreme degree, although the U.S. doesn't have a lot of giants either. So I'd have to go and actually look at some of the height heights that are reported, although I'm not really sure we can ever trust those things. It's like I played no. basketball growing up and it's it's like, oh, this guy's listed at 6'5 and he's actually 6'2, right? So I don't know exactly how those things go, but that would be fascinating. I think Japan, though, in open play would be in the driver's seat. I think there are very few teams in this competition that can wrestle some of that control against Japan. And maybe they've played the only one already in Spain that can really try to give them a run in that, in that way. I think it would make for a fascinating matchup. And my biggest thing on Japan is I just like watching them play. They're just fun. It is so rare to see a team that is as complete and effective at so many things as Japan is at the international level. Like it's rare at the club level too, but to do this when you don't get the players all that much is just crazy impressive. And I, I think whoever plays against them, whether it's the United States or Sweden, should be afraid. And, and based off of what we've seen so far, will probably be the underdog going into that game. Uh, I retend that. Taylor, do you retweet it? I, I do indeed. <laughs> I, I think I think this is this is has been and remains Japan's tournament to lose. I think they have just see, shown us so many different looks, even if the shape and the lineup has been more or less the same. Uh, I, I still think they can just hit you in so many different ways and hurt you in so many different ways. In terms of Sweden or the United States, I honestly think Sweden might give them a better game. Uh, I, I feel like they are more comfortable defending and then playing in transition than I think the United States will be. Uh, I don't think the U.S. have nearly as many sort of patterns in how they want to counterattack. I feel like it's going to be much more direct. And we saw for Norway in this game at times almost a 4-2-4 a or a 4-1-1-4 with numbers just sort of immediately going forward, I think looking for the vertical ball, looking for the long ball, looking for the big uh, transition to the counter. And when that wasn't on, you then have this team that just looks very stretched and has to try to recycle possession. But when they come under pressure, oftentimes then just kind of lumped it long and hoped. That feels like something we could see for the U.S. With Sweden, I have a little more faith based on what I've seen from them and their ability to defend as a unit, but then counterattack as a unit and, and cause problems on set pieces, as Joe already talked about. So 
I think Sweden Japan could could be a more captivating game. Obviously, I would prefer it be the USA versus Japan, uh, but they've got to show something tonight against Sweden, and that in and of itself will be a difficult task. Uh, so, whichever team gets through, I think they have the the presumptive favorites waiting for them in that next round. And it's a Japan team that look confident on both sides of the ball, but also never really seem that rattled either. You don't see a ton of them screaming at each other. You don't see a lot of them arguing or or like, you know, gesticulating angrily when the ball doesn't come. It just seems like they kind of do their thing, play their game, find a way to win, and on they go. So you're going to have to throw something special at them to rattle them or take them out of their game. Maybe they're overperforming in their XG. Maybe they miss some chances that they've been hitting, and maybe that's part of it. But right now, I think Japan will be tough to get past for sure. Uh, Taylor, as you note, the uh, Sweden-USA match is but Mm -hmm. a few hours away as we record. Are you feeling bullish about this one? Has your opinion changed at all? For me, I still feel like we're going to see some PKs in this one. You think so? Do you think no PKs? Yeah, I do. Joe, what do you think? I feel like this, I feel like it'll be, if it's nil-nil, it's going to be a horrific game. I'll say that. I, I feel like more likely is we get a goal or two and then some penalties at the end. I mean, I think it's going to be a horrific game aesthetically, no really? matter what. Um, that that's yeah. kind of how. I mean, that's just how the U.S. have played, right? Like the, I've I've been talking about that for years now. Under yep. under Vako and Donovsky, we've talked about it on this show. In Sweden, I think I think they're more likely to muck things up and play in crosses than they are to play mm-hmm. beautiful soccer when they have. When it. you say so, muck things up, you mean like create chaos, not like make mistakes, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Gotcha, create, cool. Like muck up the the flow of the game, right? Gotcha. Not necessarily mm-hmm. with errors, but with how. They want to play, right? They want to send crosses into the box. They want to try to overload in wide areas. All of those kinds of things. I uh, Bleacher Report asked a, f- a few folks that write for them occasionally to make predictions. And I think I said nil-nil or 1-1 in penalties. Like, like I can't remember which it was. But I'm thinking low-scoring game. I'm thinking extra time. And at that point, I think I predicted the U.S. win in penalties just because. But, uh, yeah, beats me, man. Joe, how would you, like, if, if somebody has been watching this tournament and they asked you to describe Sweden in a few words or a few phrases or sentences, like, how would you sum up Sweden? Uh, lethal on dead balls, primarily. Tall. That is their tall. Yeah. It, that is a part of it. Lethal on dead balls. Henry Bushnell side. This does not count to my word total. Just I want to make that clear. Henry Bushnell, who does <laughs> fantastic work for Yahoo, wrote a really, really good piece on Sweden and, and kind of previewing them for this game, focusing in on their set pieces. Go read it. It's the best I found anywhere so far. And Henry's coverage is just really good. Okay, resuming my word count. Uh, dangerous on set pieces. Good on dead balls. Uh, have height advantages, certainly. Uh, not always risky defensively they will compact space quite often which could be difficult for the united states and when they are attacking an open play they do prefer to overload the wide areas and then play through their front two finding blackstinius finding aslani mm-hmm. those are really really good attacking players if they can get them the ball after overloading the wings then finding those players in central areas that's going to cause a lot of problems for opposing defenses sorry that was not quite as, as truncated as it should have been to answer your question but there is Sort of a scouting report. So to boil it down even further, then, Please, thank you. you'd say set pieces, physical, defensive, we'll look for crosses? I, I think so. Sweden are one of these teams, like a lot of teams. Norway fall into this bucket. A lot of the sort of like second tier mm-hmm. European teams, in my mind, uh, are like more pragmatic, right? When I say Sweden are defensive, it's not that they never press, right? They mm-hmm. will press and they will control games. It just kind of depends on who they're playing and maybe even on the specific moment. Yeah. They're versatile in that way. I'm not really sure that's an advantage. I think it's better to have an identity that you try not to deviate from unless there's an extreme that you're coming up against. But Sweden are, are a little fluid, I guess, yeah. in that way. 
I, I think the reason why I'm trying to boil it down to the basic sort of bullet points is because of a conversation that we had about the U.S. and, and why I sort of am more frustrated with them than you are. And what we landed on is that I think you see them as a more def- a team that can defend well, take advantage of set pieces, and is going to have limitations in the way they attack. And that largely feels like the same for Sweden. And so I think if you remove the names of these two teams for a moment, and then you kind of gave the the quick bullet point description of both teams and how they're going to play or what their strengths might be, it leads to an ugly game, <laughs> a very kind of back and forth, disjointed sort of game where there will be stoppages, there's going to be fouls. I don't know if there's going to be a ton of like beautiful possession play. There's going to be set pieces. That probably means there's going to be extra time or penalties. So it does feel like the recipe is there for this to be a, a slugfest of sorts, uh, which then I guess opens the door for Sweden to play beautiful technical football and I'm totally wrong, or maybe the United States will. And I think that would be where I'm as a U.S. fan. I don't know if it's it's more hop, uh, hopeful than optimistic, but like what I've wanted to see was the United States build on performances, learn from one game to the next what the mistakes were, what they're not doing well, and adjust to it. And And at this point, it feels to me like the smartest thing the United States could do is recognize that we need to be a more compact team that then tries to hit on the break. And when we do, has numbers wide, but also has numbers central and isn't just sort of playing the ball into Sophia Smith out wide and hoping that she turns a defender and then goes in on goal, that they have to get numbers around her to then let her be uh, getting a full head of steam heading in on goal. And I think the U.S., if they accept some of their limitations and don't expect to just be this all-conquering juggernaut, I think they will be a better team for it. So it's a really compelling game for me in what the United States have learned and what they're able to do. And simultaneously coming up against the number three team in the world, uh, what are they able to do against a team that has been very good so far? It has only conceded the one goal. They've scored nine. They won all three of their group stage games, Sweden, South Africa, Italy, and Argentina, maybe not like the world-class opposition that uh, the United States may have faced in the form of the Dutch. Uh, but I, I think it still, to me, is a game that the United States will be need to have a, a point to prove, a statement game of sorts. Otherwise, I think the statement is not good enough and the U.S. are out. Yeah, for me, at the risk of being simplistic, this is the U.S. negating the Swedish aerial threat and the Swedish forward threat and not being quite clinical enough at the other end and it leading to the aforementioned tie. Yeah. The, the, the good news is we've all kind of suggested a slugfest and a tie here, which yeah. means it's going to be 4-0 to the U.S. So we you're go. welcome, America. We've That's done right. it. We, yeah. We've set the bar at in the basement for this game in terms of the entertainment value. I, I, I would hope, Taylor, everything you just said there, I, I agree with. I would hope that we see some sort of change mm-hmm. from Vlako and Danoski in this game. And we will see a lineup change. Rose Lavelle is suspended because of yellow card accumulation. So we're likely to see either Savannah DeMello or wouldn't surprise me if we saw Ashley Sanchez just to throw something at the wall and see if it sticks. We're not going to see Vlako, though. Yay! Change the, change the, yeah, right? Fun. <laughs> we're not going to see Vlako change his team's God. possession approach, right? He I, yeah. Not because he might not want to, but my opinion, and I, I have nothing against Vlako the person, is that I just don't think he can right? But because there's not enough time, first of all, mm-hmm. and he, he hasn't done it in what, when was he hired? 2019, October, 2019. He hasn't done it in almost four years. Why are we expecting him to do it now? Even though there have been a dozen uh, more than that data points that say you should. So that's part of it. But what the U S could do well in this game conceivably is exactly what you said is sit back a little bit deeper, try to compress some space. They don't have to bunker all the time, but maybe they, maybe they try to attack in transition, and that can look like mid or low block defending. It could also look like a press. Like, we haven't seen the U.S. really lean into a press in this competition so far. They've really only had one chance to do it because the Netherlands are the only team that 
can sort of like play with the U.S. on talent, and, and the U.S. didn't press really in that game, certainly not in the first half. Maybe they try to, to just be more transitional and try to get their attackers going downhill earlier on. Yeah. I think at this point, that, that is the best play Vlako can make. Uh, I guess we'll, we'll see if it happens or not. We'll do. 5 a.m. Eastern on a Sunday. Good reason to uh, rise early for this one. Woohoo. One thing left to do on this episode. That's our very specific predictions. Joe, would you like to do the honors and kick us off? I would. And I don't like this prediction, but I do think it, it fits the criteria and I think it will happen. Uh, my VSP for this U.S. game against Sweden is that Alyssa Nair, U.S. goalkeeper, will have at least two whoopsie moments in this game. She had at least one, if not more than that, against Portugal. I think specifically about the cross that she whiffs on in second half stoppage time. We've talked about that multiple times on this show. I have real questions about Alyssa Nair and her ability to keep the U.S. in games. Given how many balls Sweden want to pump into the box, I think when when we last talked about Sweden and the numbers have likely changed since then, they were 10th out of the 32 teams of the World Cup in crosses per 90. And they play in, I think, the second most corners per 90. And, and again, that data might be a little outdated, but you get the idea. The ball's going to be in the box for the United States to deal with. And if they pull a Switzerland and really struggle to clear and Alyssa Nair is part of that, they are not going to win this game. And if Alyssa Nair comes up and has a good performance, they will. And I will happily eat my words and I will not win this VSP point. But I think we could see a couple of, oh, that wasn't great kind of moments from Alyssa Nair. Oh, trying to create a win-win for ourselves, are we, Joe? A little bit. I'm either right or I'm happy. So I think it works well. <laughs> well, let's hope you're happy then in that instance. Joe, Agreed. Let's. Uh, I'm going to take my VSP to the Netherlands-South Africa match. My VSP is that South Africa will be dispossessed in this match 20 or more times. Uh, looking back in this tournament, they were uh, dispossessed nine times against Sweden, 11 times against Argentina. 12 times against Italy. I'm going for a much higher figure here. This is a different level for South Africa. They're going to lose the ball a bit more here. Also, the Netherlands, uh, I think they're better at dispossessing uh, uh, lesser caliber teams. They took the ball nine times off Vietnam, 12 times off the US, 25 times off of Portugal in the group stages. So uh, that's my prediction here. South Africa will be dispossessed 20 times or more. Taylor, your BSP, please. Yep. Uh, mine, pretty straightforward. The Dutch will score off of a set piece. I think we've seen the Dutch be aggressive in their attack at multiple points in this tournament, but oftentimes at the beginning of their games. And I think included in that could be just crowding numbers in the box and trying to make something happen. I think we could also see some designed set pieces in this game uh, from the Dutch, but I think that they will have a couple goals at least. And I could see them utilizing set pieces to make something happen early. So I think the Dutch will score off of a set piece. My question for you all, uh, we haven't had a ton of yellow cards in this tournament. I feel like the number has been consistently lower than expected. I think there were zero cards in Japan versus Norway. I think only the one in Switzerland versus Spain. If we set the over-under at three and a half for Sweden-USA, are you taking the over or the under? Do we think there will be uh, three cards or under, or do we think there will be four cards or more? I'll go over. I'll hit the over. Yeah, right? I, think, I think especially if there's a chance that the game's going 120 minutes, which it seems like we're all Ooh, leaning in point. that direction, you get a little extra time. And this is do or die time for both of these teams. You know, as much as we've talked about the U.S., this is the end of the road, or it could be for Sweden as well. So they have no reason not to leave everything out there. I think we could see some scraps here, folks. Joe, if the U.S. wins this game like 4-0, but it, it comes from the United States scoring on a set piece in the first minute, and then it kind of just kind of takes control from there. Is that you completely vindicated that the United States is a team that's reliant and good on set pieces? 
if they uh, control this game from the outset because of that, I feel like that kind of indicates your thoughts. That w- that would be a dream. Yeah, I think if if the U.S. can overcome all of their many yeah. many flaws in the form of set pieces, Woo. I, it's kind of what you have to play for at this point. Like it's not it's not going to be in possession that the U.S. beats teams that are are capable, right? It's just not. This team has so many flaws in that in that way in that part of the game. They just can't do it. So the question is, can they lean on their defending and their set pieces enough? They have been good in large part in both of those ways. I don't know if it's going to be enough. Maybe the attacking stuff and and Vlaco's errors are going to come back to bite this team. That is very likely. But I think it is also likely that the U.S. are still darn good and are capable of advancing. It's just nobody feels as confident about this team. I don't feel as confident about this team as anybody remotely connected to the United States would like to coming into this game. There you go. The script calls for a turn of events, Joe. That's all I'm saying. Yes. Yay. As, mo- as every moment of a script does, I think, maybe. <laughs> uh, a good one. Yeah. Yeah. We'll fair see. enough. Oh, and Joe did take the over on the yellow card prediction. So I if did. he doesn't get that, that's actually negative one off of his very specific prediction not tally. True. I should have Kenny, mentioned that true. ahead of no, ahead of time. This was not discussed. Yeah. At least Kenneth, said it on the I call you by your proper title. I would never be so presumptive as to call you Kenny. I How know do you feel about Big Kenny. K? Kenny, how do you feel about Big K? <laughs> I think has he not addressed uh, he's uh, he not been addressed as Kenny in the Discord. I think that's uh, that's acceptable. Thank you, Ryan. Maybe. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome, Joe. Anyway, Kenny, let us know. Kenneth, let us know. Hey, in the meantime, See? let's wrap up this podcast. Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much indeed for all your contributions. Thank you, Mr. Bailey, for heroically pushing through your illness to uh, to host us today. Uh, I'm assuming Graham Ruffin not being here made it easier. Uh Oh, that's cruel. Uh, yeah. Uh, that wasn't you. a no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Hopefully my man sniffles will be better tomorrow, Taylor. Thank you very much. Joe Lowry, thank you very much for all you do, sir. Yeah, right back at you, Ryan. Way to, way to tr- troop. I don't know where I was going with that. I guess I'm, I'm done with the episode. Way to push through, Ryan. I'm proud of you. Oh, thank you. I'm proud You're of you, too. You're a trooper. That's what I was trying to think of. Not that anybody cares, <laughs> but that's what it was. Thanks, Joe. St- thank st- you very much. Sterling ahead in the 74th minute. Uh, Sterling Avian ahead in the 74th minute. I just checked the score. Uh, their League One campaign has opened today. I'm going to guess we'll get a happy Graham Ruffin on the show tomorrow if that Ross. result holds. We look forward to that and the pie report on Sunday's show. But listener, thank you very much for joining us on this one. We'll be back with the US and much more tomorrow. But for now, bye! Ooh, another note As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 